If you happen to be in Kentucky and suffer a stroke, you may meet a robot as your consulting neurologist. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. My guest today is Dr. Kerry Remmel, Interim Chair of the Department of Neurology and also the Director of the University of Louisville Stroke Program. Dr. Remmel is a funded researcher in acute stroke treatments and serves as the principal investigator on numerous clinical trials. Her individual research efforts focus on cryptogenic stroke and disparities in stroke risk factors. Dr. Remmel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about what this uh, whole new computer uh, robot consultant is? Yes, I'm very excited about it. We have noticed, uh, this is not uncommon across the country, but in Kentucky, that there are many counties that have no neurologists, not just stroke neurologists, but not any neurologist. And with the treatments we have available to completely reverse the symptoms of stroke, if treated quickly, we looked for a way to get to those patients throughout the state in small hospitals that have no specialists. Whose idea was it to come up with a robot? Well, we were already doing telemedicine with telephone, Mm -hmm. and several of the people here at UofL Healthcare got together and talked about what kinds of alternatives might be out there. Our executive vice president for health affairs agreed to allow us to just take a look at this technology, the RP7 robot, and when we saw it, we realized that this was the most advanced that we could imagine at this point. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about RP7 and how he differs from R2-D2? Yes. (laughs) RP7 is a robot that is developed by InTouch Health in Santa Barbara, California. This robot is literally wireless and completely mobile and controlled by the physician. I sit at a workstation at home or at the office, at the hospital, and when I'm called for an acute stroke patient in an ER at a remote site, I beam in. Mm -hmm. I can even unplug myself from the wall in their ER, roll myself into the patient's room. My face is in the monitor of this five-foot, six-inch robot, and I go into the room and introduce myself, take a history, do a neurological exam, and turn my head to look at the patient, turn my head to look at the family, take further history, look up at the monitors, read CAT scans, MRIs, have full mobility and independence. I mean, it sounds quite futuristic and a little bizarre that I could be laying in a bed and my physician is looking at me through a computer screen. How can you examine the patient? Well, what happens is when I go into the room of the patient, it takes those patients, I've really looked at this carefully, it takes them about 30 seconds to forget that it's a robot and to start interacting with me. And I can, with the help of the nurse at the bedside, I can actually look at the pupillary light reactions. If the nurse shines a pin light in the eyes of the patient, I can zero in on it and literally look at the pupillary reactions. Now, with a neurological exam, I am looking at very great details of the cranial nerves. That is, the you know, cranial nerve exam, the motor exam can be done by performing the NIH stroke scale. This is a standard neurological scale that's used for stroke patients. Uh, the one thing that I cannot do is I cannot touch the patient. And so for sensory exam, then I'm really dependent on the doctor or the nurse at the other end. But as far as really evaluating motor and uh, the function of the patient, the language and speech 
uh, and cranial nerves. We're quite, quite apt at it. We're very good at it. What are the limitations of the robot? Besides doing sensory exams, what can you potentially miss that you would have picked up being in the room personally? Well, the fine details of the motor exam, such as the grip, Mm -hmm. you might not get. But we use some other techniques, such as arm rotation or finger tapping, that can be pretty sensitive for motor deficits. What we're looking at is, is this person impaired and should this patient get the IV TPA or intraarterial treatments mm-hmm. for clot removal? So those are the issues. Is, is this a patient that needs intervention or not? I mean, can't you use the, the scan and the history to determine whether or not it's, it's an embolic stroke versus a hemorrhagic stroke? Yeah, the CT scan will either be negative in an acute ischemic stroke mm-hmm. or, of course, positive in a hemorrhage. But that's not good enough to decide on treatment because a CT scan doesn't become positive for six to eight hours in ischemic stroke, and you really have a three-hour window for IV TPA. So you need to look at the exam. The clinical exam and the history are as important as anything else in this. So we're able to do that full exam. There's so much more to this that I was completely surprised about. I mean, I, I expected to be able to take a history, do an exam, read a CAT scan myself, read an MRI myself, look at the monitors, so forth. But I did not expect to preserve the patient-physician relationship. That was my next question. What happens to the therapeutic relationship and the power to heal by just kind of holding their hand? See, that's the thing is the art of medicine is preserved. I've got numerous examples of this, not just with patient testimonials, but in my own self I've noticed. I'll give you a poignant example of it. On Christmas morning, I was called for a consult with possible stroke, but it really wasn't a stroke patient. It was an anoxic brain injury patient who had an extremely poor prognosis. I examined the patient, was able to look at everything and make a diagnosis and prognosis, but I had a meeting with the family after, later that day, and the emotion and the depth of interaction that you experience with a family in those kinds of times was exactly the way it is when I'm sitting in a room with a family. I mean, they were tearful. I felt tearful. It was an amazing experience because I never expected this with a robot. I expected to be able to go through the mechanics. I've had funny experiences. I've had, uh, so humor is preserved. I've had other great experiences with patients where we develop a relationship. Occasionally, they're transferred into my stroke center, and uh, when they meet me, we feel like we know each other already. They've already had that doctor-physician bedside relationship that was built in the remote hospital. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and my guest today is Dr. Carrie Remmel. Carrie is the director of the University of Louisville Stroke Program, and we're talking about a new robot called the RP7 that actually helps diagnose and treat stroke patients. Carrie, why Kentucky? What's, what is the reason that it's there? We are in the stroke belt, highest among the highest um, rate and mortality rates for stroke in the United States. Why is that? Is it just uh, untreated hypertension? Partly. Is there a lot of AFib there for some reason? Some of it is unknown, but, but um, if you look at the CDC maps for the vascular risk factors, smoking, obesity, hypertension, diabetes, 
then you're going to find a high rate of these vascular risk factors in the southeastern United States. So that's part of it, uh, lack of neurologists, lack of, of expertise throughout the state, many small hospitals that just don't have the subspecialists. I mean, this technology is actually being used beyond stroke care. Uh, we're using it in neonatal ICUs, and it can be used in emergency care for other conditions other than stroke. Uh, we're using it in outpatient outreach for Parkinson's. ICU doctors use it around the country so that they can re-round in their ICU in the evening without going in. Are you seeing more patients as a result of this? And do you run the risk of burning out quicker than a normal neurologist who gets burnt out all the time? <laughs> I'm not burnt out and I'm encouraged by it. What keeps me going is the fact that we are reaching more patients and treating more patients than we ever did before with the stroke reversal types of treatments like IVTBA mm -hmm. and the intraarterial treatment. So that's very encouraging that we're getting to those facilities. And when you're on call, you're on call 24-7 for stroke anyway. I feel much better about leaving patients at their home hospital that did not need to transfer. By telephone, I would have transferred by robot. I keep patients at their home hospital that don't need to come. How many robots does Kentucky have? We only have 11 in our system right now, getting ready to place four more, and we plan to increase that number significantly. I know in an article you were in, you were quoted saying that with stroke, time saved is brain saved. So what is the actual improvement on time to time to getting TPA or time to whatever intervention? If I beam in immediately and examine a patient when they hit the door of the outside ER, then we streamline that time frame to making clinical decisions immediately. If it's a telephone call and a transfer, then there is a waste of time or there's the potential for patients being treated that didn't need to be treated. Is there a Medicare code for billing for seeing someone through a computer? Telemedicine is covered. Telemedicine consults as long as the physician that's operating the robot has credentials in the remote hospital. Uh, so they can't just call you up and say, hey, we need you to see a patient. You have to be on staff at all these little hospitals. Yeah, so I have credentials at the hospitals. And not only that, you have a telemedicine code for billing, but yes, it can be billed. How much does an individual robot cost? They're very expensive. Some facilities purchase their robots, others lease, but they can be up to $250,000 or leased for a little over $5,000 a month each. And does the hospital end up paying for that? or? Uh... There are different models for that. At this time, uh, we are paying for the robots, but there are different models. Let's say you have a small critical access hospital, so there's no way you're going to hire subspecialists in many of these areas. So if they have one robot, but they're connected with a tertiary center that has the specialists, then they are really saving money in the long run because they have at their possession, at their access, intensivists, emergency medicine, subspecialists in pediatrics, subspecialists in neurology. It goes on and on, cardiologists uh, in the subspecialties. And a lot of those small hospitals would not be able to hire those professionals full-time. I get asked frequently about adding psychiatry and dermatology in many of the remote hospitals because they have a difficult time keeping 
those subspecialists or those specialists in their hospital. Dr. Remmel, what are you looking most forward to with the future of this technology? I'm looking for the ability to use this uh, in rounding, in teaching, being able to have these in ICU rooms but have a little more mobility than just the standard camera that sits in those rooms so that we can interact with patients and uh, make judgments in the middle of the night as to what to do for them. I, I think that really our imagination is the only thing that's limiting us. Well, Dr. Carrie Remmel of the University of Louisville Stroke Program, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit our website at reachmd.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, you will receive six months free of streaming ReachMD for work or home. You can also now reach us by phone with comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thanks for listening.